Welcome to the Disability Sport Info Show, the podcast that explores academic knowledge about disability sport. My name is Dr. Chris Brown, and I'm an academic with an expertise in disability sport. Each episode, I focus on a specific topic of disability sport and speak to academic experts to understand the area in more depth. So join me and listen to the Disability Sport Info Show to get an expert view on disability sport. Hello listener, welcome to the show. In this Disability Sport Info episode, the focus is on deaf or hard of hearing individuals and their sport participation experiences. I'm delighted to be joined by Rebecca Foster, MBE, and Chris Price from the West Bromwich Albion Football Foundation. Welcome, Rebecca and Chris. Thank you for speaking with me today. To begin, please can you describe the research that's been carried out into the sport participation experiences of deaf or hard of hearing individuals? First of all, Christopher, thank you very much for giving us this platform to actually share some of our, our knowledge and hope that it will be helpful to anybody that listens or everybody that listens. I'll be very brutally honest and say that as far as research in deaf studies goes, full stop is very limited, especially with deaf sport. So a lot of the papers are currently somewhat dated. Still, the message is very, very important, but they are looking at the 1990s, 1980s. So David Stewart was a very key person, uh, Martin Athens, a number of great authors, deaf sport in particular, especially around the Deaf Olympics or silent games as they used to be known. I think there's more people that are looking at globally socialisation of sport. So myself, Professor Hayley Fitzgerald and Dr Annette Stride looked at the socialisation of deaf people in sport. But I think to probably make it more accessible for people who are interested in reading about deaf sport in particular there's a cracking book called same spirit different team and it's the politicalization of the deaf olympics and it was written by stuart harrison who is very much embedded within the deaf community and has a bags of experience for deaf olympics deaf sport etc but it's not um, a hard and fast academic text but i would recommend it because he goes back is probably one of the first pieces of historical data for uk deaf history uh, that would be maybe of interest for people I know I certainly found it interesting. Why do you think there's not been much research then into the experiences of deaf or hard of hearing individuals and their sport participation? From my perception it's an area of disability that is often very hidden. We're living in a very ableist uh, world where it's very difficult sometimes to actually notice who may have a hearing impairment or deaf And I think because there's no physical attributes to that, I think a lot of hearing people might make the assumption that, well, you just muddle along, don't you? There's nothing different, nothing wrong, nothing uh, disadvantage. Whereas, of course, there is actually a lot of balance issues. Um, There's lots of sort of developmental of understanding concepts that might be compromised as well because the language or communication system might be slightly delayed. So I think people have often made the assumption that there isn't necessarily a great need but of course, as as I work with a lot of, of students, there is need because it's about giving a voice to particular groups as well. So I do think it is often overlooked because there's other more, for the want of a better word, sexier disabilities that people want to get to grips with. Um, I don't know, Chris, if that's true for you yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Because it's more forgotten about that, that perception that hearing impaired can just fit in with mainstreams there's not that need to to research as much and I think for obviously someone with a hearing impairment a lot of 
we haven't got that voice because we haven't got that platform because we're not as equally represented as probably other disabilities. So again, I use the example of the Deaf Olympics against the Paralympics. You look at the funding gaps, you look at the voice that Paralympians have compared to Deaf Olympians. There's just not that platform for people with a hearing impairment to actually say, do you know what, there's something wrong here and have that focus on them for others to think actually we need to change that as much as you have sort of Paralympians highlighting the disadvantages they might have other difficulties they might face with sort of hearing impairment it's just that perception that for me once I put my hearing aids in I can just get on with life I haven't got that voice because they're so long you're not actually disabled are you because you can just put your hearing aids in and you can cope with the with the world more so than someone with a visual impairment or a physical impairment where it's a lot more obvious okay so there's probably an issue in terms of the involvement and perhaps sidelining of people who have hearing impairments or who are culturally deaf so we've looked at elite sport and we've discussed how the funding is primarily allocated to paralympic sport from uk sport what about grassroots sport so when we're looking at grassroots sport experiences for those individuals with hearing impairments what's it like from your perspective chris but also you rebecca too for me i think parents are by far the biggest decider of grassroots for deaf individuals for me i obviously work in the disability department my kind of role is to get children with a hearing impairment to disability specific sessions parents can either help or hinder and um, depending on their own perception so for me my upbringing was that I was kind of almost turned away from deaf sport it was kind of just again let him get into mainstream let him fit into mainstream if he can get into mainstream there's more opportunities that kind of reflected on my grassroots football experience so I then played mainstream football it was very mainstream experience now I'm kind of on the flip side I can see that replicated so parents are if they are oral so if they don't sign then they're very much kind of let's just get them into mainstream team let's get them into a mainstream football team if they sign then straight away they're going to mainstream sessions they're getting turned away because Coaches are not deaf aware, coaches can't sign, they can't communicate, they're almost pushed to the side and then they come to our SEND sessions, so where we have the the awareness and the ability to communicate with them. So it's kind of, if they fail at mainstream, they then go down the disability route more so than they'll, they will instantly go to that sort of main, that disability specific session. However, if they do sign, then they go into the almost like the deaf culture, which has been set up. So they're just hearing impairment specific sessions. Thanks, Chris. Anything to add, Rebecca? Well, I think access to sport is, again, it, it very much determines, I think, as Chris is right, on the p- parents or the carers that might be able to take the child there. But I think clubs and schools have got a, a point to play within that because if the teachers don't know about 
other opportunities that the children can go to. So I know, I'll be honest, that when I was teaching in schools as a young 22-year-old, I didn't actually know the Deaf Olympics existed. So therefore, I wasn't in a position to promote Deaf Olympics, even though I may have had people in my class who were hearing impaired or were deaf. So I think our job is to raise awareness in schools and clubs, enable to give children who are losing their hearing or or gaining deafness, I like to say, as a way to perhaps say that you can perhaps dip your toe in mainstream opportunities, also see and embrace your deaf identity by going towards more specialist deaf sports. But I think the the profile is incredibly low for deaf sports. And I think Chris is right. If you're good enough as a deaf athlete, you are then expected to go into the mainstream ether. But really the opportunity for that regarding communication and even for my sport for athletics, you know, hearing the call out for events, having that one to one with coaches that might not feel comfortable in being able to communicate and articulate all of these things as a hearing person. We th- well, we think that's that's normal. We'll access it, but it does prove to be a barrier for people who are not able to hear. So I think the opportunity is, is somewhat more challenging, not impossible, but challenging, but can be easily remedied by teachers promoting other disability sports, whether or not they be an athlete with short stature, child with Down syndrome, you know, Special Olympics, dwarf sports. We've got all of these, but it's just a question of raising that profile. You've both talked about the children angle, but what about adults? In terms of their sport participation experiences, is there anything that differs from the experiences of children and what you've talked about so far? No. I think one of the deaf Olympians who did extremely well in Taipei was a 40-year-old woman who'd only just come to know about deaf sport and was a bronze medal uh, winner. And she said, the only reason I found out about Deaf Olympics is through Facebook. And so I think the the culture, when I mean, even when we come back from Deaf Olympics, media coverage is very low. So I think, again, that our culture of an ableist culture, if you've got a hearing impairment and going into a very dominant hearing culture, it takes quite a lot of self-esteem and confidence to be able to walk into that if you're a lone hearing impaired person so I think it probably gets more difficult not unless you're part of a community that might go and, and access a club together that's from from my point of view when I've done outreach work in the community for deaf groups but I don't know what you think Chris the one thing that stands out for me is I think adults that are more culturally aware of their entitlements are very quick to highlight that. So, for example, when we worked with a deaf men's team, they were very quick to highlight that we didn't have a proper interpreter. We kind of just put in myself and obviously a couple of other coaches that knew basic sign language and then we used the non-verbal communicators like whiteboards and sort of hand gestures, but there wasn't that knowledge of being able to interpret to have a conversation so a lot of what our sessions were very heavily football based as opposed to having that general conversation that you might have with grassroots because I think the children may have grown up just you know you've got to get used to it you've got to cope you've got to adapt looking to everyone else is doing and copy that where I think with adults they would if they're aware of what they're entitled to they're very quick to say well there's not an interpreter in place or 
you can't like you can't communicate with me we don't understand okay so adults perhaps are more aware of the barriers potentially are more confident to challenge the barriers that they may experience whereas again if we're generalizing for children perhaps it's more just they want to participate they want to play perhaps they might copy what they see other children doing just to fit in and maybe just get along with it whereas adults and of course it won't be all adults might be more empowered to speak up and challenge any barriers that they are experiencing or any discrimination they might be facing okay so we've talked about some of the challenges so what needs to happen to then facilitate increased grassroots sport participation for people with a hearing impairment or those who are deaf I'll go to you first, Rebecca, and then we'll go to you, Chris, as a a final comment on this particular question. I think a very simple aspect that can be considered is is that of deaf awareness. I think if any club member was able to be a little bit more deaf aware and how to greet someone that might have a hearing impairment into their club and just either just show them the routine, explain maybe one-to-one why they need to, this is where they go, etc., and introduce them to key people, I think it would be ideal. And it's sort of like looking at people's attitudes. So I do think if we demystified the myth of not every deaf person uses signs, some people have some level of hearing, make sure that you face them, there's no light behind you, like glaring light in their eyes all of these simple things could be all of a sudden empower a hearing person to think oh I can do that and if my face is very welcoming about coming into a club and my body language is possible you don't necessarily need to sign to that degree so I think and that is an example of being deaf aware and just be open-minded. I think school teachers need to promote the deaf Olympics, but I think they need to promote all different avenues of, of disability sport also. But I think with what we do at university, what we do in our daily lives is to speak up. So if we do see an element of someone that's trying to hear someone and they've got a face mask on, it's okay to sort of say, oh, should I take my mask down? Or would you like me to, you know, can I help in any way? And if that person requires help, they'll say, yeah, okay, I could do with a bit of help. Or they'll say, no, thank you. So I think there's a lot of things that we can do in our own little corner in ourselves but in the community of, of with which we operate as well that that that's what, what i think i don't know about yourself chris yeah i, I, I was going to say awareness is massive i think it's demystifying those perceptions that someone with a hearing aid can't hear or in terms of can't communicate with someone so just because they've got a hearing aid doesn't mean that they instantly know sign language it doesn't mean that they can't hear anything at all it's just kind of flipping it and think, well, actually, they can hear, but it's it's the sounds that they don't know are there, they can't hear. That's a big one for me, sort of the, the first thing is, that, oh, OK, I've got hearing aid, that means I can't hear. Well, actually, I can hear. I can't hear everything, but I can hear. So it's kind of demystifying some of those elements, as well as obviously just raising that awareness of actually, it's not, we're not alien, we're not, you know we're not completely different we can actually still lead you know the same lives everyone else. we can still communicate whether it just takes a little bit extra whether it just means writing something down whether it means using you know similar hand gestures you can so for example if you don't know the sign for 
cup of tea in sign language. You might just kind of, you know, mimic a cup. You might mimic a drink. You know, you might spell it in with your fingers. Just having that awareness in the back of their mind of actually that's then they don't understand what's being said, but they might not necessarily want to raise that. Okay, then. So what is the main thing that needs to be done to increase grassroots sport participation for individuals with a hearing impairment or who are culturally deaf? And do we need to distinguish between individuals who are culturally deaf and those with a a hearing impairment? What more can be done? Unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, um, it's yeah, it's quite could be quite controversial in as much as that because there are very few specialist deaf schools now, a lot of children are in mainstream education. And whereas before when there was a hearing impaired unit, you would get a lot of children with hearing impairments together. And that could almost be a ready-made school after school team or club, socialization, friendship groups. And what I'm finding now is because of the mainstream setup, there may be only one hearing impaired or deaf child in a school, two in another. And therefore that kind of socialization has really sort of been watered down. So hearing impaired children are kind of probably forced only to go into the mainstream field. And again, a lot will be able to benefit hugely from that. But I think to also know that there is a deaf sport pathway could really be the making of someone's deaf identity as well. And I think that just still needs to be publicised. So through UK Deaf Sport website, there are social events. There are some community groups that also meet together to try and sort of reinvigorate participation levels. But I think any child going going to a mainstream environment is the, exactly the right thing to do, despite the fact that they might be sometimes alienated because pe- not everybody knows sign language or what have you. I think to stay in mainstream, but also investigate the deaf path- pathways as well. To reiterate, I think schools have got a part to play on that. I think our media have a part to play on that. But um, I think mainly, I think for me, from the youth, it starts at school. So I think if children know that they have got options and opportunity, I think there will be more growth for deafness specifically in sport. I think for me, it's having that platform. I almost envision it as a circle. If we give uh, deaf athletes and deaf participants a voice, then society will listen therefore they will get louder society will be more aware and it will just it's almost having that circle in a way I think at the moment there's a clash of people with a hearing impairment trying to speak up getting nowhere and thinking well what's the point no one's going to listen so then you get the flip side of the mainstream going oh yeah I'm, I'm, I'm deaf aware yeah yeah, yeah. my nan's deaf or I know one person that's deaf. Well, yeah, you know, but that's only one. So, for example, don't base everything off off me, you know, because there's millions of people out there that have a different deafness to me. So don't just obviously that having that assumption. When I thought about this question, it's it's having that platform, but then being listened to. So it works both ways. Obviously, athletes are trying to speak up and raise awareness, but they're not being heard. And when they're starting to get heard they for example we look up to the the sign language bill that's now going through mm. it's raising awareness when we do deaf awareness week they might be oh yeah, yeah that's really good the following week there's nothing 
Yeah, I mean, I think with more role models, in as much as Rosie or Strictly Come Dancing, etc., all of those aspects raise awareness in a different way. Any final points you'd like to add, Chris? Just about funding. So obviously, I think, you know, there's there's deaf athletes out there that are trying to raise awareness but aren't being heard. So, for example, you've got deaf Olympians that are trying to raise awareness for the deaf Olympics. You know, for example, there's one one member that's been speaking for over a year. You know, he's got a very strong voice, but he's not getting heard. He's not getting that recognition. And I think at some point he will think, what's the point? And that's another voice lost. Myself, for example, you know, I can speak about deaf awareness as much as possible, but people have got to listen as well on the same side. Excellent. Thank you ever so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's, it's really been great catching up with you guys. And I look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you very much. That's all we have time for, listener. So thank you for listening to this episode. And I hope you've learned more about deaf sport and the sport participation experiences of individuals who are culturally deaf and those who have a hearing impairment. Stay tuned for our next episode. Until then, goodbye. You've been listening to the Disability Sport Info Show, academic insights into disability sport.